Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. God is gracious to forgive and to renew covenant with you unto himself. He covers you fully with the blood of Jesus that was shed at the cross for sinners. He lifts you up into the heavenly throne room to worship him along with the angels and saints. He feeds you with his word and he sits you at his table to joyfully feast upon the heavenly bread and wine, Christ's body and blood given for you. He hears your prayers and provides for all your needs. He watches over you and leads you through the trials of life. Our Heavenly Father, through the Lord Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, loves you and is gracious and merciful unto you. Brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God's word to us this morning begins in 1 Kings chapter 18. Verse 30. And I'll read one verse out of 1 Kings chapter 17 to to begin. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of Yahweh, which had been torn down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of Yahweh had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. Then it came about at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that thou art God in Israel, and that I, thy, I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Answer me, O Yahweh, answer me that this people may know that thou, O Yahweh, art God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and and slew them there. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go back seven times. And it came about at the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, so that the heavy shower does not stop you. So it came about in a little while that the sky grew black with clouds and wind, 
and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of Yahweh was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. We'll turn now to the epistle of James, chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Please turn now to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation Psalm 8. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. If you would turn to James chapter 5. For those of you who are concerned by the email that went out that this is the last time in James, I want to set your fears at ease. We have at least one more. I promised my wife at the end of the book of James that I would retire this Bible, and so it, it has but a couple weeks left. Um, James is no longer intact. So I'd like... I'd like to take a little bit of a wider look at the passage I asked Hyde to read. Our text today is James chapter 5, verse 13. We've come to the conclusion of this epistle, but I want to read just again, beginning in verse 7, because particularly this section on prayer, we need to hear the encouragement to pray, but we need to hear it within the context and the admonition of of James himself. And so this admonition to prayer that concludes his book, many of the epistles conclude with, with an admonition to prayer. You can either hear the reverberations of Paul in pray, pray without ceasing, pray, pray at all times, let your requests be known, made known to God, be anxious for nothing. But James, James has something particular in mind that, that is special for his hearers, and it's the message we need to hear today. So Read with me again in James chapter 5, verse 7, because this section hangs together as a whole. So James tells us this. 
Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil. He's patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And do not complain, brothers, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And as example, brothers, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job. You've seen the outcome, the end, the maturation of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion. He's merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick or weak? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective, working, active prayer of a righteous man is powerful. Elijah was a man with passions like ours, and praying, he prayed earnestly, fervently, that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins." Let's pray, and then we'll discuss the text. Father, we come to you today, and we ask that you would speak through your word, that you would give us and feed us powerful words. You promised to implant us with the word that can save our soul, and so that's what we ask today, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see so that we might know you and help us to respond rightly. We pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So as I pointed out a number of weeks ago now, here in this last section of James, there, there is an inclusio, perhaps a chiasm that occurs between verse 7 and the example of Elijah. And so if you, if you pay close attention, what you'll notice is the subject matter is the same, but the, the direction, the, the, the way that it sounds to us is a little bit different. So he begins this section here at the conclusion of the letter. He's He's admonishing us, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The Lord is right at the door, and he gives this example. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the earth. He's patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. And he concludes then with an example of Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. He prayed again, and the sky poured forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And so if you notice carefully, you'll notice that this sequence of words is inverted. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the, the earth. My, my translation translated soil, but it's, it's the same word. It's the earth. So he's waiting for the produce of the earth until it gets the rain. Elijah prays for the rain, and the sky pours forth, and the earth produces its fruit. And so the direction of those words is opposite. And then in the very middle of the text, we have we have verse 12 that we discussed last time we were in James, above all. So we have, we have this chiasm being built in which on the top he says, above all, my brothers, do not 
swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. And for those of you who weren't here, what we, what we noticed about that is within the context of James, that makes sense. James is praying for the brothers who are dispersed abroad, and he tells them, when you encounter all kinds of trial, they've been kicked out of their homes, their husbands are being arrested in Acts, in Acts chapter 7 and 8, and in all kinds of trials, consider it joy, because those trials produce endurance, and endurance will have its perfect results so that you will be perfect and whole. Remember that in the book of James, whole Sound means you're not double-minded. You don't have a tongue saying one thing to God and, and then saying another thing about your brothers. We can't praise God and speak evil of our brothers. We can't come to a trial and also be double-minded about it so that we come before God and we confess His praise and then complain about the trial that He gives as His good gift. So throughout this book, James is admonishing us, come in the midst of your trials with a whole mind, a single-hearted spirit, and so he says, above all, my brothers, do not swear. And the reason is because the name of Yahweh, the name of the Lord, rests upon you. And we're going to discuss that a little bit more today, so hopefully, hopefully that will make sense by the time we're done. But that phrase, that phrase brackets in our chiasm these two sections. And so the example that he gives in verse 10, he says, as an example, brothers, of suffering and patience, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. It is mirrored in the example of verse 14. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing them, him with oil in the name of the Lord. And I just want to point out here at the beginning that the name of the Lord, if you think through the Bible, what God does with it, when, when the tabernacle's being built, his name is placed upon it. When Solomon's building the temple, he prays and God answers that the name of the Lord would dwell in that temple. And when people prayed toward that temple, in the name of the Lord, God would hear. Now we see the end of that story, and James is helping us to see it, that God's temple is a people temple. And for us here seated today, God dwells in our midst and his name rests upon us so that when we speak, we have to speak with a whole mind, a single-hearted spirit, because God's name rests on us. So hold that thought and then come with me to verse 13. On the opposite side of this chiasm, first he's, he's been encouraging us, be patient, do not complain against one another, Instead, wait. Wait for the early and the late rains. Be of one single mind. Do not swear either on heaven or earth, but instead, and this is the response, instead, this is what you must do. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders. And so on the, on the two sides of this, you have differing responses. Either you can look at your trials, be impatient, and the response inevitably will be to turn towards your brother and to complain. Like the Israelites in the wilderness, they turned and they complained. They complained at Moses. Ultimately, their complaint was against the Lord. But opposing that, 
the response that James is calling us to in the midst of all kinds of trouble is to turn our hearts and lift up our prayers to Him. Be of one mind. God is the good giver, the Father of lights above who gives all good things, and He gave us suffering. So if you're suffering, pray. Turn to Him. Lift up your request before Him. If you're cheerful, sing psalms. It's the same response. The condition is different, but the response is always pray. So before going into the details of how we're to pray, I want you to notice that in the book of James, this conclusion is a response to the beginning of the letter. So turn back with me to chapter 1. James tells us, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter any, all kinds of trials, because the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have that perfect maturing end, so that you would be perfect and whole, lacking nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And so James begins his epistle with this, with this call to pray. Now the call to prayer here in the beginning of the epistle is specific. When you're in the midst of trouble, first think rightly about that trouble. Know that God gives trials for this purpose, that it would produce endurance, and endurance will have the end result, that God will bring us all the way to the end of that trial for our good. He'll bring us in to make us mature, whole, complete. But right now, in the midst of your trouble, if you lack, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And so from the beginning of James, he's been exegeting this idea, ask for wisdom. And he's been exegeting it within the context of how he describes that prayer for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, because God gives to all men generously, without reproach, and it will be given. If you ask God, God is the good giver. He gives. He doesn't reproach us for asking. Instead, he gives wisdom, and he gives it in abundance but there is a condition. Let him ask in faith. We need to keep this in mind because at the end of the book, there's a lot of discussion. If you listen to sermons and read commentaries, there's a lot of confusion because at the end of the book, there is a prayer of faith. And there's a temptation to look at that prayer of faith and to start interpreting it as a brand new idea in the book of James. But it comes from the very beginning. Ask in faith without doubting. That word doubting, remember, is to make distinctions, to judge. So ask in faith without judgment. And throughout the book, then, he's talking to us about how it is that we can ask without judgment. Don't judge, don't distinguish what God is doing. Because if you do that, if you judge, if you make those kinds of distinctions then don't expect to receive anything because you're a man of two souls, of two minds, and double suke. And God will not give the wisdom that you ask. And remember again then in chapter 1 that that entire chapter is devoted to the very first, the very primary problem that occurs when we're in trouble and when we're tempted to be double-minded and it is the problem of how you look at the trial that God has given you. There is a temptation to call it 
God tempting us. And so he says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone. Instead, he says in verse 16, do not be deceived. Now, I'll remind you of this again, but that word deceived in verse 16 is the word that's translated wander at the very end of the book of James. If any among you wanders from the truth, if any of you is deceived by this lie, that God gives you suffering in order to destroy you, that God takes his children and he takes them through the wilderness for the purpose of causing them to stumble. That's deception, and that will cause you to wander from the truth. Instead, verse 17, remember this, be of one mind. Every good thing, every good act of giving comes from the Father of lights. So every good thing, the trial that you're undergoing, the fact that the, the, the Christians have been removed from Jerusalem, they're being imprisoned at the hands of their brothers, this thing is good. It's a good gift from God. And so when you pray, pray with that in mind. When you ask for wisdom, know that, first of all, that this trial, this suffering that you're undergoing, and remember James broadens it out from the specific suffering of the, the readers of James to every kind of trial, whether it's on the personal level or on the corporate nature, the level of the church, remember that this is a good gift from the Father above who brought us forth by the word of truth. And so when we come then to the end of the book of James... James has told us, first of all, do this. You're born from the Word, so be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And so throughout the book, we haven't been encouraged to speak. We've been encouraged to listen. Listen to this truth. The God who made you has given you this good trial. Listen. Listen to the Word from above. Receive the Word implanted that's able to save your souls. And only at the end... Are we coming back to the very beginning? Ask. Now at the end, after having heard the word of who God is, now ask. And the response is prayer. If you're still suffering, after having God's word, having examined your life, examined the life and the state of the church of the Most High God, if you're suffering, the response is pray. Ask God. And we'll have a little bit more to say about that in a minute. But if you're cheerful, if you, in the midst of any trial, if you have been given wisdom and you can rejoice, if you're cheerful, the response is still pray, but now the prayer is the singing of psalms. As we were reminded again this morning, the reason that we are singing psalms because the Word of God is implanted in us and the point that I want you to hear today is when we come back to him, when we pray back to God, it only comes after hearing his words so that we come back and we pray to him, we sing to him the very words that he implanted in us. And we're going to see that specifically in the example of Elijah. So what does that mean for us? As we come to trial and trouble... We shouldn't be afraid to fall on our knees and pray before God. We, that's exactly what he wants us to do. But he wants us to do it within the context of having heard God's word. So keeping your mouth shut, first hearing what God has to say, putting away anger, and then coming to him with those words in your mouth to call upon God to act and to do the very things that he promised. 
Paul makes a similar point in his epistle to Timothy. He says, I want all men to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. It's the same idea of not distinguishing, not making judgments about what God is up to. Having put away the wrath that can so easily be directed first against our brothers and then against God, and instead, having heard, then to lift up holy hands and to pray. So just a quick summary of this section, and we're probably going to have to spend another week looking, looking at the particulars of this, because what I, I want to do is look at the example but first, a, a summary. He says, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing psalms. If you're sick, if you're weak, call for the elders and let them come and pray over the sick person, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And that prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed any sins, they'll be forgiven him. This, the summary is this. You start off, generally, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing praises. But then he gets down to the particulars of the book. If you're sick. Now, that, that can be of a broad corporate nature, as in the book of James. And it can be of a narrow personal nature, as so happen, often happens in our lives. He says, then call the elders. And there is much discussion about what this means. What the condition is of when you're sick. I think to understand it accurately, we first have to pay attention to the, the, the rest of the passage in the example of Elijah. So he goes on and he says that the prayer of faith offered then by those elders will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he's committed any sins, they'll be forgiven him. And it seems like he goes on this digression where in the midst of prayer, he becomes focused on sin. He says, therefore, because this is true, because the prayer of faith will will save the one who is sick, and if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven, and therefore confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. The powerful, the effective prayer of a righteous man is powerful. So what does it all mean? Because on the one side, we, we can... We're tempted either to, to treat God as if he does nothing in response to prayer, so we ask in generalities that we'll never know if God answers or not. We're tempted to doubt what Jesus promises in the book of John, what he asks of God that he would hear us when we pray in his name. But on the other side, of course, our temptation to respond that way is because of the response of churches around us which have taken and expanded what God promised to the detriment of his people. So what do I mean by that? I think we can get at it through the example of Elijah. So these two verses, and then we're going to head back to 1 Kings. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and praying he prayed. It says it, says it twice. Praying he prayed. It means fervently. He's on his knees praying and he prayed that it might not rain, and it didn't rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So if you would turn with me back to 1 Kings. So Elijah, James wants us to know, as we consider prayer, Elijah is a man 
with passions like ours. He's like us. He gets hungry like us. He gets thirsty like us. He is a man clothed in weak flesh just like us. And yet he says he prayed, he prayed that it wouldn't rain and God answered that prayer and it didn't rain for three and a half years and it didn't rain again until Elijah prayed again and then the rain fell. Now, there's something a little surprising about both sides of that prayer that James says Elijah makes. So I had Hyde read 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Elijah first comes on the scene in, in 1 Kings 17 with, with almost no introduction. And it, we're told that Elijah the Tispite, who was of the sojourners of Gilead, said to Ahab, As Yahweh the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So what's a little odd is that James tell us, tells us that Elijah prayed that it would not rain. And yet the record that God gives us says that Elijah said, there will be neither dew nor rain except by my word. So how do, how do you make those two things mesh? Does James have some extra biblical source? I don't think that's the answer. I think instead, what we have to do is look at what Elijah's doing, and James is interpreting Elijah's action for us. So a little context here. The nation of Israel is in trouble. Uh, Ahab is on, on the throne, and he is a wicked king. And in that wickedness, we see that there's been a, an altar erected for Baal in the house of Baal, and he's made an Asherah, he's made a false tree before the Lord, and he did more to provoke Yahweh God of Israel than all the kings of the earth, and it's to such an extent that in his days Jericho was rebuilt, and it was rebuilt on the, the blood of the youngest son, Sigurd. And so Ahab, more than those who have gone before him, is raising up idol worship, the worship of the Baals and by the Asherah, and so, if you would, keep your finger in 1 Kings and turn back to Deuteronomy 11. And read with me in verse 10. For the land into which you are entering to possess it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you used to sow your seed and water it with your foot like a vegetable garden. But the land in which you're about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which Yahweh your God cares. And the eyes of Yahweh your God are always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. And it shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I'm commanding you today to love Yahweh your God, to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and the late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil, and he will give grass in your field for your cattle, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Beware, lest your hearts be deceived, and you turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Or the anger of Yahweh will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which Yahweh is giving you. My point in this is that God already said what was going to happen. 
If you believe God's word, if Elijah believed God's word, he could look around him and see what was happening. Ahab was turning the hearts of the people. It says, beware lest your hearts are deceived and you turn away to other gods and serve them. Elijah could observe this. This is what is happening. The hearts of God's people are being turned to serve other gods. And if you trust God, you know that his word is sure. So when Elijah says, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word, Elijah is not that powerful. Elijah cannot shut up the heavens. And so James records for us, he says that Elijah prayed, and because of his prayer, God answered and shut the heavens. But Elijah... Elijah says, by my word, and this is what you have to see in the book of 1 Kings, Elijah's word and God's word become one. And so Elijah speaks, and he speaks in the name of Yahweh. He speaks for Yahweh, but James' interpretation is that Elijah must have prayed, and he prayed within the context of having known and heard the word of God. If your hearts are turned away to serve other gods, this is what will happen. The heavens will be shut They will not produce rain, there will not be dew on the grass, and the earth will not produce its fruit. And so here in the beginning, Elijah appears on the scene, he's observed what's happening, and there's this declaration, there should be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And from there on out, we see God speaking to him. The word of Yahweh comes to Elijah and tells him immediately, go go away, hide yourself by the brook. And so we can read this, this story in which it's... It's saturated with God speaking to Elijah. He's directing every path that he takes, and Elijah's response is prayer. And before we get to the, the, the second half of, of the prayer, I just want to tell the stories in between. So Elijah, Elijah calls for God to stop the heavens as a response to God's word. And that's exactly what God does. And that means that the earth becomes a desert. And God, in the very next verse, he directs Elijah. He says, I want you to go away, hide yourself by the book Cherith. And, and there God takes care of him for a little while. But Elijah is not immune to this uh, suffering. Elijah, whose heart is holding fast to God, so he's not like Ahab. He's not immune to the suffering of his brothers, wherein the, the heavens are shut. But instead he goes to hide himself by this brook Cherith. The, the, the ravens feed him, but after a little while the brook dries up. And he has to get on the move again. And, and, he, and he goes on the move, and God directs him to, to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon. So he's, he's headed outside of Israel, on the northern side, and, and he goes there, and there he has to ask of a widow to feed him. So first the ravens are feeding them, and then, then the widow feeds him, but the widow has nothing. She's on the, the last bit of bread and the last oil, and Elijah calls on her to trust Yahweh God. He says, please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink And as she was going to get it, verse 11, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As Yahweh your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat and die. And Elijah said, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake of it first and bring it to me. And afterwards you may make one for yourself. 
For thus says Yahweh God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that Yahweh sends rain on the face of the earth. And so God takes care of Elijah again, but it's in the midst of this wilderness, and he does it through the hands of a Gentile woman. He's bringing judgment on his people. The blessing of God has gone out, out of the land. And the, the bread and the oil, they come and they, they're renewed there in the house of this widow because the word of God came there. And that's exactly what happens. And then there's a third story in which this widow's son dies in verse 17. And she comes to him and she complains against Elijah. And Elijah goes in and he calls on God to remember in verse 20. He said, O Yahweh, my God, you've brought calamity to the widow with whom I'm staying by causing her son to die. And he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to Yahweh and said, O Yahweh, my God, I prayed to you. Let this child's life return. And Yahweh heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. And then the woman in verse 24 said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and the word of Yahweh in your mouth is true. So this Gentile lady confesses who God is and that sets up 1 Kings chapter 18 because that's exactly the problem that's going on. And, and, and it is by the way, the problem that's occurring in the readership of James. You've got the, the Hebraic Jews and the Greek-speaking Jews, and they're persecuting the Christ-following Jews. And so you've got a division among the brotherhood, and there's this question, who, which, God, which God will you serve? And so in 1 Kings 17, Elijah flees and the Gentile widow is blessed and she confesses Yahweh God. And in 1 Kings 18, then that word comes back. He first goes to Obadiah, and we won't read it, but Obadiah is set up as a, as a picture of the nation in which he has to decide, will I follow Ahab or will I follow Yahweh? And in the end, he follows Yahweh, but I want to... I want to direct your attention then to verse 20 of chapter 18. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought all the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and he said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. So this is the fundamental conflict is Yahweh God or is Baal God? This is the reason that God brought drought in the line. This is the reason that Elijah prays for the heavens to be shut because Ahab elevated Baal to the position of the, heaven, the maker of heavens and earth, to the one who controls the heavens that brings the rain to the people. And so God shut it down and Elijah comes and he says, how long will you hesitate between two opinions, between two minds? And you should hear in that James' special phrase, do not be double-minded. Do not stand in between and say, well, either or. Yet the people, when they hear this question, they're silent. They can't make up their mind, who is God? And so the story we know well is Elijah calls for a competition to clarify, to bring judgment about. And, and he, calls, he calls for a competition about who, which God will answer 
prayer. Which God will answer and come down and fire on the altar? And of course, you know the story that, that the priests of Baal set up an altar and they pray, they gash themselves, they dance around it, and there is no response. And then Elijah comes in verse 30, and he says to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near, and he repaired the altar of Yahweh, which had been torn down. He took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of Yahweh had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh. So he takes stones, and those stones represent Israel. The name of Israel is on those stones. And then he builds the stones into an altar, and he says that on this altar is the name of Yahweh. So they come together. The, the, the Israelites and Yahweh come together here in this altar. It's made of the people of Israel, and God's name rests then on this altar composed of the stones of Israel. And of course, he lays on it the wood and the ox, and he fills four pitchers of water three times. So 12 pitchers of water get poured out upon, upon this altar, and the, the water flows to fill the trench with water. Then in verse 36, it came about at the time of the offering of the sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Yahweh, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. And then the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. And so... The hesitation, the double-mindedness was broken. And it was broken as Elijah came before God and prayed. And God responded. He responded as he promised he would respond. When you come before me, when you bow before this house which has my name in it, I will hear and answer. And fire came down from heaven and consumed the ox and the wood and the altar and the people believed and confessed, Yahweh is God. There is no other. And so you hear this repetition, and in it, the covenant God made with his people is renewed. And in that renewal, the rain is going to come again. So then in verse 40, Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and he slew them there. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. And Ahab went up and ate and drank, but Elijah went to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now and look to the sea. So he went up and looked. There's nothing. He said, Go back seven times, and the seventh time, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. James told us that Elijah prayed first that it would not rain, and it did not rain. Three and a half years later, he prayed again that it would rain, and God answered with rain. But again, if you just move your eyes back to the beginning of chapter 18, God told Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. God already told Elijah that this was going to happen. Elijah obeyed. He went and he showed himself to Ahab. The contest was won, and yet Elijah's response 
is to crouch down on the earth, to put his head down between his feet and to pray. And praying, he prayed earnestly. It wasn't, wasn't a... wasn't a, a, the kind of prayers that maybe flit through our minds when we think we ought to pray. Instead, he, with purpose, he got down... He put his head between his feet, and seven times he told his servant, go up to the mountain and look. So he's sitting there, he's going to pray until God answers and the rain comes. But what I want you to notice is that he's praying, and he's praying and asking for the very thing that God just told him he was going to do. Elijah heard the word of Yahweh. God spoke to him. He heard the word of Yahweh, and Elijah responded, and the means by which God brought forth the rains out of the heaven was by the response of Elijah in prayer. God spoke, or Elijah spoke back to God, the very word, the very promise that he gave him. He, ca he called back on God to keep that promise. And praying, he prayed earnestly so that the blessing flowed once again from heaven. The covenant was renewed and the earth produced its fruit. In the faithfulness of this man, through the powerful word of prayer, God blessed his people. He called an entire nation back to bow before him. This is what God calls us to do. So if you would turn back now to the book of James. Now remember that the first readers of this epistle were being removed from their houses, removed from the land. They were dispersed out of Jerusalem. They're in the midst of great trial. And God gives us examples where we can look through the history of Scripture and we can see the examples like Elijah and the readers of James can see something common going on between their lifetime and what God is doing and what God did in the life of Elijah during the wicked reign of Ahab. There is a brotherly conflict in which brothers are rising up against brothers. They're murdering one another. And James wants us to hear this. Consider your trial, consider it all joy, because this is what God is doing. God is in the business of making you mature and whole, of bringing his people to repentance and then building them up as a mature man to confess his name. And that's what's going on here. So there's an encouragement for these readers. There's an encouragement, trust in Yahweh. Listen to his word that what seems like the end today is God's blessing. When Elijah prayed for the heavens to stop, that was God's blessing to bring the nation to repentance. Now, even the faithful, like Elijah and the prophets, they suffered under the hand of, of Yahweh during that three and a half years. And yet, we can see, looking through history, that God was doing it through Elijah, through the prayers of Elijah, but for the benefit of his people. You can see that, by the way, of course, in, in the book of Job, too. Ironically, the two examples that, that James gives, they're both contests, but they're context, contests that occur on, a, on two different dimensions. And so they show us that we don't understand, in the midst of our trial, all that God is up to. Job, when he suffered, he didn't know that Satan 
and God were having a conversation and God was showing forth his glory through him. And yet he had to endure with patience. Elijah, he couldn't see the end, and yet he had to endure and call on God with patience. And so the admonition today is as we come in suffering, in sickness, we call upon God and we call in faith based upon his word and upon his promise. So remember, we, we look at faith, and, and the author of the Hebrews describes to us, he tells us that faith is the essence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You reach out ahead based on what God has said and grasp a hold of it, and then we call back on God in prayer to do the very things that he promised. Now, what's important here is that we do not judge God's response in that prayer, meaning we don't know with clarity, the path by which God will bring about the end which He has promised. And yet, He still calls upon us to pray. And He promises that it's in the means of that prayer that He brings about the mature, perfect end in which He calls His people into maturity. Now, here at the end of the book, we're given this admonition, but it's given, it's given hearing the word of James so that as we run alongside each other, we run this race and we watch suffering and we look at the word of God and we compare what's going on to what God says. And, and by the way, Elijah being able to read Deuteronomy 11, well, that's not specific to him. We have, we have God's word to tell us, to, to describe to us the world that we live in. And so, if we're like Elijah and we listen, then we could take Deuteronomy 28 and we see what happens when God's people turn away from him, that madness and confusion will follow, and that families will eat their children, that there will be sickness and pestilence. We ought to see that through the lens of Scripture and see that God is doing the very thing that he promised in us too, so that we know how to pray. Now, in our midst, in the midst of the church, when God brings this trial and suffering, every manner of sickness can be brought forth, and he calls on us to respond in prayer. And next week, we'll go through the specifics of, of calling the elders and all, all of the details there. But today, I just want you to see that God calls us to watch out for one another. As we hear James, to, and he tells us, rejoice in the midst of your trial, gain wisdom, be made mature and complete and sound so that you're not double-minded. And that, that trial's given so it shows us where part of ourself is, we're, we're cutting it off from God. Instead, he says, as you do that, as you run the race, then you call along those alongside, those who are behind, behind you, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another so that you may be healed. And this is the promise. The active working prayer of a righteous man is powerful. Now notice what he doesn't say is the non-active prayer, the one, the one that's not given. It's not powerful. And the acting prayer of the man who doesn't confess his sin, who's not honest before others and before God, is not powerful either. We've been hearing about our marriages, and when, when we don't follow God, with our wives and our children, our prayers are hindered. Well, the same thing is true in the congregation of the saints. 
when sin is hidden away and festers and grows into bitterness and wrath and dissension, our prayers are hindered. But this is the promise. Confess your sins, pray for one another, be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man is like Elijah's prayer, where he called on God and Elijah's word became God's word because he listened. He heard and he obeyed. And this man was a man like us with passions like ours. He fled in the wilderness. He was hungry. He called out to God. He complained to God. And yet God heard. And through him, God resurrected a nation. He opened the heavens and the rain poured down on the earth. And we know from Genesis that it's not just the plants and the ground. It was the people that were brought to life like the dry bones of Ezekiel. And so when we do this, when we commit to responding to God, first hearing his word and then coming back to him, praying back the things that he's promised to us, trusting God in what he hasn't shown to us, trusting him that he'll work out the means by which he affects those promises, then this is what he says. You will be healed. So hold on to that. Next week we'll talk about the difficult details of, of this passage but today, be encouraged. Be encouraged that in any condition, whether suffering or joy or sickness, God's call to us is to hear Him and then speak in prayer. Call upon Him with praise and prayer because we have the ear of the maker of the heavens and the earth. And we have in our hands the promise given to us by the one who does not lie. That when we call upon him in his name, when we love his commandments and we're shaped by them, that he listens. If you would please stand. Father, we pray that your word would take root in our hearts, that we would know it, and that it would spill forth from our lips to one another, but first to you. And Lord, we ask that as we come before you, and, and Lord, we observe a church in this world, your church on which your name is placed, and we can see all manner of diseases and curses being brought, and we can see that there is a root of double-mindedness that exists among your people. So, Lord, we call upon you, and we ask in your faithfulness and your mercy to fulfill your promise of bringing your people through, the ones on whom your name rests, to maturity and completion. Lord, we have a hope that is anchored within the veil, it is not disturbed by any action of this life because we trust in you. And you are unswerving and unchanging. Lord, we pray that this word, which calls us to pray before you, to confess in the name of the Lord who you are and to call on you as an action of your people, Lord, we pray that it would take root in that, that we would be committed to looking out for one another, to praying for one another, to doing so as righteous men made holy by the redemptive work of our Savior. 
We praise these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.